Our Old Testament reading this morning is Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and then 15 through 16. And that can be found on page 1, or page 1, 5, page 15 in your pew Bibles. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then skipping to verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading for today can be found on page 1011 in your pew Bibles, Mark 8, 31 through 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sherman. Um, So I, uh, here's the thing about me, just as we get to know each other, I don't know what I'm talking about. All right, uh, I don't like powerful things generally, like power tools, Uh, not a fan. Um, I don't like big saws, for example. Like, give me a handsaw, I could deal with like a skill saw, but I do not want chainsaw or a table saw. I don't want anything to do with those things. Um, cause, and the reason is, partially it's the noise. I don't like noise. But the bigger reason is because I like to keep my mistakes small. Um, and I would rather get a scratch than like cut off my hand. Um, similarly, for three summers during seminary, I worked for painting companies. And I like the paintbrush. Uh, I will deal with a roller. Uh, but I hated the paint sprayer. Um, 
With a paintbrush, you might like drip on the floor or hit the wrong spot. With a paint sprayer, it's just like a little wind, and you have painted all the nearby cars. Um, our passage this morning is like a biblical paint sprayer, a scriptural chainsaw. It is powerful. And while Jesus is giving us a path to life, um, mistakes with this passage or intentional misuses of it are powerfully destructive. Um, ideas like deny yourself and take up your cross have been used to keep women in abusive situations, to keep slaves in slavery. Um, they have been used to make us feel guilty about just taking care of like, the basic, our own basic needs. Um, and I still haven't quite figured out how to avoid those dangers. I think we can wrestle with this, a passage like this for our whole lives, and maybe that's part of the point. Um, so this morning, we're going to kind of make note of a few things that seem clear uh, to help guide our discernment in that, if that makes sense. You could think of it like the instruction manual for our power tools that help keep moving the power in the right direction and our hands out of the way. Um, so we're going to start with a couple of warnings, and then we're going to have three more like positive, here's some clear things that we can attend to, um, and then we'll be done. Uh, so first, the warnings. Uh, please, please, please be careful about giving these words to somebody else. Um, particularly if you are the person who will benefit from their self-denial. Um, I could see a friend, like, helping another friend discern something by saying, like, you know, you're, the Bible says we should deny ourselves, um, and that's fine. But if you use this or any part of the Bible to keep someone from voicing their complaints, particularly about you, or to get them to do what you want, you need to stop that. You know, I want to imagine that no one in this room would do that, uh, but I also know that we're all sinners, so... Um, that behavior is manipulative and abusive. It's called spiritual abuse. Even if you think you are being caring, even if you think you're being a good Christian. Um, Jesus said that if anyone wants, us, wants to be his follower, they need to deny themselves, not the people around them. Okay, our second warning. <clears throat> uh, if anyone is using this text to keep you in your place or to keep you quiet and you feel trapped or confused or silenced by it, then you might be in a bad situation. Um, maybe talk to a therapist or a friend you can trust. Uh, it might mean that you have to get out of that situation. It might not. Um, I don't know. But it does not serve an abuser to allow them to continue to abuse you. Um, and I think all this is really tricky, right? Because even people who are interested in growth and love can act in abusive ways sometimes without realizing it. Uh, even people who are, and people who are straight up predators uh, can seem like they only have our best interest at heart. Now, I can't diagnose any situation or say what it requires. You have to do that discernment. 
Um, but if you are experiencing that, it is a major red flag. And I want to say these things because too often the church itself has been guilty of that kind of behavior. Um, pastors have used it to manipulate their congregants, right? And spouses do that to one another. I want us to have no part in that. Um, and our text today is one that is just so ripe for that kind of um, abuse of the text itself. <laughs> um, Tony and I talked for a while about uh, how, like, how you can know if you are, what you're facing is a, like, whatever situation you're facing is a cross that you should bear or a bad situation that you should get out of. Um, like, Jesus willingly went to the cross, and he also did not allow the people to throw him off the cliff, right? So he was doing this kind of discernment. But there's no easy formula to figure out which is which. There's no way to avoid the discernment and community and prayer, which actually might be part of the gift of the struggle. Um, so that's like the dark side of the power of this passage um, and a heavy way to start a sermon. <laughs> but I wanted to address it, and now I want to move on from it because it's also true that sometimes we use these extremes to avoid hearing what the passage might actually be saying to us in this moment. Um, And we need to hear this text, because as much as, the, as a text like this has power for death when it is used in a bad way, it also has the same power for life. Um, like fire, right? It can burn down the house. But in its right place, it is life. It's warmth and nourishment. But it's not always clear. And when we're aiming towards warmth and nourishment, we might even burn ourselves a few times. Uh, we have to... It's. We're wrestling with the thing. Um, so here are a few things, three things, that I think uh, seem clear about this passage and that could help us with that discernment as we, as we kind of hold it and try to seek to deny ourselves, try to seek to uh, um, lose our lives for the sake of Jesus um, without going off the deep end. Um, so first, the ways of God don't always make sense to us. It's like pretty you know, Christian, Christianity 101. Uh, but this is true so much so that sometimes it seems like the ways of God are going in the opposite direction of what we would think, right? So this, our passage that we read today is like very, there's no break in between what comes before when Jesus, or Peter calls Jesus the Messiah. So like right before our text, Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? And Peter goes, you're the Messiah. And uh, but Peter is still thinking like military messiah. He's gonna, Jesus is gonna like overthrow the Roman Empire and set Israel free from oppression. Um, this is gonna be a violent conquest. Um, so when Peter says messiah, Jesus is like, yeah, and also don't tell anyone because you don't really know what that means. Um, and then Jesus starts to correct his his definition, which is where our passage started, when he starts talking about his own death. Um, and when Jesus starts talking about his own death, Peter is appalled. I mean, it is a lot, it's a lot to ask him to grasp. His whole life, he has thought, when Messiah comes, things will be different. Things will be better. And now he thinks he has found the one he's been waiting for, he's been following him for three years. 
He must just be itching to see what will happen. And Jesus says the unthinkable, not only no victory, but humiliation and rejection and death. And so Peter takes Jesus aside and says, like, no. And maybe he means, Jesus, we'll protect you. Or maybe he means, like, no, God will protect you. Or maybe he just means, like, what are you talking about? Like, throughout the Gospel of Mark, the disciples misunderstand Jesus all the time. They do not come off very well. But this misunderstanding earns Peter Jesus' harshest rebuke. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Like, you're going the exact opposite direction. You have no idea what you're talking about, so much so that you are aligning yourself with the devil. God's ways are different than yours. And I think that's easier to do than we might think. Uh, When Tony and I were dating, uh, he once told me, and we were just having a conversation, and he told me he was feeling down because he'd realized he wasn't, you know, being the person he wanted to be in some way. Um, I don't remember what the specifics were. And I launched into, like, good girlfriend mode and started to try and cheer him up. I was like, no, you're great. Like, that's not so bad. Other people do way worse. Um, I thought I was being a good girlfriend, right? And Tony said... Get behind me, Satan. Just kidding. (laughs) He did not say that, just for the record. (laughs) But he, he did stop me and say, Jen, it's actually really important that I feel this. Um, this conviction is a gift for me. Um, And, like, I just didn't want him to feel badly. But in that moment, I had missed what God was doing in Tony and actually started to work against it. Um, Sometimes we have this knee-jerk reaction toward, you know, having power or control or just comfort. And those things aren't usually God's main concerns. Um, God is mostly doing something other than that. God's ways are not our ways. So that's the first one. Um, The second one is that we can expect there to be pain in this life. Uh, Our culture is really, really good at avoiding pain and discomfort. Like, we tend to believe uh, that if there is discomfort, something is wrong. Um, A new product, a new technique, a new therapy, that will fix it. Good vibes only, right? Um, you know how much I hate that phrase. Uh, We spend a lot of time resisting, and we actually, in some ways, can make our suffering worse by that because we add on not just to the suffering that we have, but we also add to it the confusion, the, like, resistance, the avoidance on top of what's already there. Um, But the Bible has no illusions about this world. It is really hard, and the Bible does not pretend otherwise. And if we want to live in love, it seems, it's going to hurt even more. Jesus told us so here, right? If you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. And it's a relief, really, I think, to not have to pretend otherwise. 
it's not necessarily that something has gone wrong. I mean, aside from sin at the beginning of all the thing. <laughs> but like, this world is hard. Whatever you are facing, fallen world. I had a friend who, um, I was really mad. I was in, I think I was in seminary at the time, and I went to counseling for my, one of my first times. Maybe not, I guess I started in Vancouver. Anyway, I went to counseling, and the therapist was like, well, you're going to have to like put out your clothes at night and just when you wake up in the morning, roll out of bed because I was having a really hard time with anxiety like as soon as I woke up, um, just like consuming me and I would lay in bed and just stew and he's like, you got to just roll out of bed, go do it. And I was like, why do I have to do that? It just seems so dumb that like I have to do this weird thing. Why can't I just be normal like other people? Um, and my friend, I was complaining to this friend of mine and she goes, eh, fallen world. <laughs> and I just felt like really comforted by that. Like, yeah, you're right. It's not perfect. I don't have to freak out about this. It's going to hurt. I'm going to have to make accommodations for the hurting. And I guess that's how it is. Um, you know, we're called to feel the feels, to rejoice with those who rejoice and grieve with those who grieve. Jesus and the prophets, they were angered by injustice and hypocrisy. Jesus loved deeply, and so he was grieved in his love. And Christians are not Stoics, unmoved by the things of the world. We engage, and sometimes that's painful. I go to therapy a couple of times a month still, um, and my therapist has been encouraging me to feel my feelings. Um, he says that because I've spent so much of my life resisting pain, uh, it is just lodged in me. It just hangs out in my guts. Um, and it comes out as anxiety and depression. He says, I need to be with whatever is there. Get comfortable with the discomfort. Which, he's also a spiritual director. Turns out that that's what the mystics also say. You gotta get comfortable with the discomfort. Um, our peace and wisdom and joy do not come through avoidance. Whether that avoidance takes the form of alcohol or Netflix or shopping. Our peace and wisdom and joy come from going down through the tombs of our lives and coming out the other side. We are a people of the resurrection. And if the cross is a model, um, then I think some of the pain that we should expect to feel is humiliation. And I want to name that one in particular because I think the cross was intended to be a humiliating experience. Like, that's one of its kind of primary things. Um, and I think humiliation is agonizing. And I will do just about anything I can do to avoid it. Um, but for those of us who have power and privilege, for whatever reason, if we want to learn how to listen to those people who do not have that, we are invariably going to screw up. And it is going to be humiliating. And we need to learn to be okay with that. Um, I don't know if, if, uh, if you haven't seen American Fiction yet. It's on the, you know, nominated for the Oscars. We always watch the Oscar movies. Um, anyway, it's hilarious and also so painfully clear on how our attempts, white people's attempts to be anti-racist, uh, can be so racist. Uh, <laughs> um, we're formed by a racist system, right? And it is baked in. As we unlearn 
Um, we're going to have to go through some embarrassing moments of having our ignorance laid bare. Um, and that's like the best case scenario, right? Like that's, that's the thing that we want. Because as much as it makes me want to crawl into a hole, I would rather the humiliation than staying ignorant and racist forever. Um, we can expect pain in this world. Some of it's even going to be like really important for us. We can accept it when it comes. Um, but there's one more caveat to that uh, that will require yet more discernment in this. Uh, not all of the pain of this world is yours to bear. Um, the text does not say, go out and find all the crosses and take them up. Um, it says, take up your cross. Whatever is given to you to carry. Um, I recently had to step back from a pastoral care situation because it triggered me really badly. Um, like, a week of not being functional. <laughs> Um, and I feel like embarrassed about it, or like I'm not tough enough, uh, or whatever. Um, but I had to step back and to let someone else get involved, uh, because I have my own cross to bear. I have other things that I have to care about, and if I let myself get sucked into the abyss of whatever is happening there, um, I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, not all the crosses are yours. And it's we have to be, in some ways, humble enough to be able to accept that we're not going to be everything. Um, it's like both a challenge and a release to be able to, to admit that. Um, okay, and here's my last point. And this comes from a group called The Salt Project. I have no idea who actually wrote this thing I read, but... Um, but they pointed out that when you take up your cross, you are not... I love this. You are not a passive victim. But instead, you are to seize the role of active protagonist in the drama. You have power even when you are suffering. You get to decide how you will hold the pain. Jesus laid down his life of his own accord. No one took his life from him. And that should change the way I think that we hold whatever it is that we're facing. We are not just passive victims, but we walk this road on our own two feet. In whatever suffering comes our way, we can accept it and see ourselves walking the road to Jerusalem with Jesus, participating even in the restoration of the world, just as he did. Um, right now, I think Sherman Street is kind of one way that we are taking up our cross as a community is in our denominational woes. Um, and we're in this situation, uh, you know, for those of you, maybe you're newer here and you don't know what I'm talking about, um, I don't even, I don't want to get into it really, so ask someone or talk to me after. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're in this situation because we are doing our best to follow Jesus, right? And that has brought us into confrontation with the powers that be in the denomination, um, and so we can apply these three points I talked about um, to our situation as we discern what we do and how to behave as we go about it. Um, first, the ways of God are not our ways. And so we should be careful and humble 
in our understanding of the world and always dependent on Jesus, right? Like my, my impulse is one to like mock and insult and demonize our persecutors. Um, but I don't think that's the way of Jesus. What does it look like to carry this cross in the way that Jesus did? Second, we can expect pain. It's going to hurt. It has already, and it still will. Whatever we do, however this goes, it's going to hurt. Um, and we can carry that pain right alongside Jesus while also recognizing that not all the pain available needs to be ours. Like, if it's too much for you to watch Senate, don't watch Senate. Like, ugh. Uh, if you can't stand to be at the protests, don't. Leave it for someone who can. If the conversations are too much, step back. And also, don't avoid what is yours to take on. Um, sometimes we need to go through the darkness to find resurrection. And third, we're not victims in this. We knew what we were getting into when we became affirming years ago. And we, will walk this path, we can walk this path with heads held high. We don't need to flinch every time someone says something mean about us. That is their problem, not ours. We get to choose how we will be. The lovely thing about following Jesus is that even when it goes through uh, dark valleys, as it were, it always leads to good places. Um, God often calls us to difficult things, but those difficult things yield good fruit. Um, like, we're called to love our enemies. And how terrible is that sometimes, right? Like, it's very difficult. Uh, they misunderstand and belittle us. They may never get it. It's tough. They don't deserve it. But if we're able to do it, you know what we get on the other side of it? Love. And like, is that not what we all desperately want? We get a soft heart instead of a heart of stone. We get openness and vulnerability instead of cynicism. We're called to forgive, you know, which can be terrible, also seemingly impossible sometimes. But you know what we get at the end of it? Freedom. Freedom from the hurts that we have suffered instead of having to relive them over and over again, stewing with anger. In forgiveness, we're set free. Or like our mini small group um, that just started last week, we've been reading about the Sabbath. Um, taking a day of rest is such a lovely commandment, but it turns out it's actually really hard because uh, it means we have to stop when it feels like the to-do list will never end. Um, but you know what we get? Less anxiety and trust in God and a powerful counter to grind culture and affirmation that we are worth more than we can produce. But you... You know, we all kind of believe that we're only worth what we produce, so to stop that is painful. But we learn through the difficult practice to be human, not machines. And sometimes we are even called to die. But on the other side of that, 
there is resurrection. Our faith is grace upon grace upon grace. With God in Christ walking this path before us, taking up his cross so that we might be free, making a way that we might walk that path to freedom ourselves. Sometimes our journey is difficult, but our God is with us and is leading us to something new, something beautiful. Down through the tomb to find life on the other side of it, to find a world in which death will be no more and all the mourning and crying and pain will finally be gone. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are good. May we be a people who um, learn to follow that goodness. Um, Who learn to see uh, when we are actually following you and when we're pushing against you. Um, who learn what it means in our daily lives to take up our cross and follow you. Who learn to discern um, what is ours and what is not ours. And who learn to walk this way in freedom. Jesus, may we um, follow you faithfully and know your grace along the way. In Jesus' name, amen.